He's known as Basil and Joe. <laughs> Welcome to the Criminal Connection podcast, Mr. George Russo. So just growing up, just crime was just like a like a like a normal thing. So how did you start off, George? Was you getting them football stickers out the corner shop? <laughs> My mum's mum, she's a McLean. So her her brother is Lenny McLean's dad. He met a woman called Shirley Pitts. She was known as the Queen of Thieves. And then they'd say, oh, what about that other thing up there? Maybe because my wife would like that. As soon as you turn your back, bang, you switch the ring. But like drugs are like a massive part of my story. I'm 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 like 15 years clean in recovery. The, the second summer of love with all the ease and all that, you know. I, I mean, I'm primarily like a drama person, you know. So I'm not my wife. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I sort of act career from being like late teens sort of petered out and like, I got into the drugs quite things got quite bad actually but all the way through that period I was writing a film for it. and the guy that I played Damon Alvin there was a really mad connection that I didn't know at the time and then we wrote villain it's Phil number Barantini. one number one on Netflix well I come from that world I'm not I'm not a gangster not nobody but I've I know that world I'm just like a little window opened up I went oh I've got something bang and they happened Welcome back to the Criminal Connection podcast with myself, Terry Stone, a.k.a. The Podfather. Today, we've got a very special guest. He's known as Basil and Joe. <laughs> Welcome to the Criminal Connection podcast, Mr. George Russo. Wow. What an introduction. Nice one, Tell. That's good to see you, mate. Good to see you too, man. Yeah. I can help Basil and Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought it? I know, yeah. <laughs> Um, but George, it's, it's really good to have you on the show. And um, uh, I wanted to start off by um, really going back to, you know, when, when you was younger. Okay. Um, and uh, I, know, I know, obviously, lots of people, um, especially actors, mm. draw from real life experiences yeah. um, to put it into their performances and their work. Um, so, you know, it'd be good to know a little bit about how you grew up, your okay. family, and yeah. what, where you were born and all that sort of right, stuff. Right, right. Well, I I'm, I'm from Hoxton originally, which is just down the road from here, but... Um and it's, a, it's quite an unusual area, Hoxton, because it's like a, um, it's all social housing. There's no old Victorian houses there or Georgian houses. It's all, um, you know, council flats. And, um, and sort of growing up during the 80s and even in the 70s, you know, when my mum and dad met, it was almost like a, an enclave, you, you know. And, and London in general was very, very clicky. So there were no outsiders. And, um, you know, I always say that I, I grew up not in the... Um, not in, not from the working class, but from the criminal class, because crime was just a thing that we did. In fact, like criminals were lauded; they were really respected. You know, uh, where I come from. Um, so just growing up, just 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 crime was just like a like a like a normal thing. So how did you start off, George? Was you getting them football stickers out the corner shop? <laughs> no, do you know what? Do you know what? I was never I was never really into football. And I never really like I was never really into crime myself directly, but like my um. So, so my mum's my mum's mum, she's a McLean. So her her brother is Lenny McLean's dad. Um, so my mum and Lenny McLean are first cousins. And then my mum's real dad. So 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 my mum and my my nan and my granddad, my mum's mum and dad. It's quite complicated. Had a, um, just just my mum and then they both went off and started families, right? And so so my mum's mum's side are McLean's and my mum's dad's side he met a woman called Shirley Pitts who's who's from the area and she she was known as the queen of thieves she's got a book about her called gone shopping so she was what they call a, a hoister or in Oxton we call them oysters you know and um and is so that she, what, is well, that what they used to say um 
I'm going shopping. Well, that's, what, that's where the book comes from. So they'd say, where's mummy gone? And she, they'd say, oh, she's gone shopping. And really, she was like up the West End. So they weren't like the oysters you get today that were junky oysters. These were proper, like they were going to the West End in disguises, in teams, and nick like high-end, you know, quality um, designer brands. You know, what, what, what disguises did she wear then? Well, she, she, well, because like the store detectives would, would recognise her, she'd have to go in and wear like, you know, different outfits. And uh, she did, did all sorts of like, her book's quite amazing actually. I'm going like, to read that, George. You should read it, you know. And um, like she did like audacious things, like pretending to be a mannequin as like the store detectives <laughs> were running past. So like, you know, I grew up with all these fantastical stories, like armed oh, robbers around him. My, my uncle, my uncle Carrots was a, was a, was a, um, a con man, you know, and um, uh, like a, a proper, you know, at the corner they called it. He used to call it robberies with violins. You know, because you weren't directly robbing them, but you would like, you, it was always out of greed. You would entice them through greed. So what, what it was would always he, greed that would get you out, you know. So what uh, would be uh, one of his, have you got an example of one of his, one of his, one of his? Well, it would be the type of thing, like it'd be from like um, having like a load of videos. He'd show you a few, he'd say they're really cheap. You know what I mean? And like, um, show you, it'd open a few boxes and it'd be the deal of a century. And he'd say, you got to get, put the hurry up on you quick. We need the money now. You got, we got to have it lively. And so they think they're getting like the deal of a century. Little do they know they've bought, a, you know, a, a lorry load of bricks. Right, right. And, or, or like it disappear in a toilet. What he likes was what they call a thrower. So uh, a thrower is when you'd have like a, an exit that no one knew about. So you'd have a toilet with, with an exit somewhere, like in a pub. So you'd meet someone in a boozer, you know, say, I'm just going to go to the toilet to look at some gear or something. And then it'd be out the back, out the back door or, or he'd have rings. One of the best ones, he'd have like a, like a real diamond ring, like a 30 grand ring. And then he'd have like a, um, like a load of rings that were the fake diamonds. They begin with a Z. Fugazes. Your Fugazes, that's it. <laughs> I forget what they're called. Zircons. Zircons. Yeah. And, 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 and then he would, he would show you the ring and then he'd say, oh, what about that other thing up there? Maybe because my wife would like that. As soon as you turn your back, bang, he switched the ring. So we'd out and garden. He'd be, yeah, yeah, like all over. Like, and whenever he used to go and watch, because him and Lenny were quite close. Whenever he'd go and watch Lenny fight, he'd be like sort of hiding in the shadows because he'd fuck so many people. <laughs> like, you know, he, you know, he could come on him from he anywhere. He'd speak to your, to your granny about the fucking giving of one of these guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So this is what I grew up with. You know, my mum was a hoister, so she worked with Shirley and she taught. Is Shirley's, Shirley's still around? No, Shirley's dead. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, a shame. yeah, she's that's long a shame. dead. And my so we'll get her on a show. I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, her kids are around, you know. So right, yeah, maybe they'd like to come on. But yeah, I've been developing a TV series for, for, for years. I've been working on it um, about Hoxton and that era because it was such a, you know, the late, late sort of 70s um, uh, were just such a fascinating era before the heroin came in, you know, because heroin then come in later on and just sort of um, just decimated Hoxton. It really did. I, I, well, I was sort of like the other side. I was in Camberley in Surrey. Okay. And I was living on a council estate and... Uh, yeah, when I grew up on it, it was it was probably like Oxton, loads of crime, loads of violence, um, loads of people behaving badly. But then when that sort of rave scene, everyone was on on that sort of rave buzz, and then the same thing, this this heroin thing. I mean, I never mm. understood why anybody would take it. Yeah, um, yeah. If someone said to you, inject yourself with this shit, and 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 you're going to fucking basically just lay in a coma all fucking day, and then you're going to rob your own mum. To get some more, it does. I don't see what the attraction. It, it is. doesn't make sense. But the problem was is that no one had that point of reference because heroin was new. Right. You see, so so it was a new drug. So people took it, numbed off, felt good. I mean, it had been described as like kissing God heroin. 
you know, the feeling. That it, I mean, they don't take it because it don't fucking feel good. Do you know what I mean? Selling they, it to me, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I've never tried it. Like, I'll just say, but like, because I because I had right. that point of reference, I saw what it done. I saw it done to my well, own, I've, old I've family. Been, you know, dying of it and all sorts. Sure, of sure. And all the chaps, all the chaps that would before would have been the people that we looked up to that would have sort of, um, you know. Uh, uh, for want of a better expression, groomed you into a life of crime. Right. They were all gone, you know, when I was growing up. They were all junkies. Um, uh, because before that, it was pills and sulfate, you know, cocaine hadn't quite hit. Right. And so when heroin came, it was just a new drug that was going about. And, uh, you know, it wiped out a whole generation. Um, it really, really did. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. But, you know, my, my, dad, my dad was a... Um, he was training to be a chartered accountant. Um, he, he was a, a reader, you know, um, really intelligent, intelligent fella. And um, that's where you get it from. Maybe, it? maybe, maybe. And um, so he met my mum, and my mum was, you know, in Oxton, wrapped around all these thieves, and he'd be he'd be going out while it was dark and coming home while it was dark, and my mum would go out like twice a week come home with more money than he earned in a month. And he thought, fucking hell, what am I doing? This is a mugs game. So he started thieving and he would like, he, he so he would do like the jump up and uh, like uh, uh, warehouses, like furriers were big in Hackney. Uh, so they would burgle like furriers, which is like they get the furs, all the pelts. Right, right, right. And, uh, and and a lot of like, the, like there's like big, lot of big factories in Hackney back then. Burberry factory and things like that, and I'm sure there were lots of others, but I that's know that they what, had a few quid. That's why when uh, you walk around London, everyone had fucking Burberry. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but that's how we got nice stuff growing up. We couldn't afford it, so it was always from oysters, from the jump up. You know, that's how we got. That's how we got our bits and pieces. I mean, it's that's actually, how we survived. It's actually quite funny because most fashion brands, right? Uh, do a lot of PR marketing campaign, but obviously Burberry didn't need to do it. Because everyone was it. nicking it and just giving it out and everyone's Ex wearing it and was going, oh, right, it's nice, I might buy one of them. So. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the environment that, that, that I grew up in. It was it was just normal. You know, crime was just a normal thing. It wasn't anything to be ashamed of. In fact, I was kind of ashamed of it growing up because you couldn't tell anyone because the first things we were taught as a kid was don't tell on your friends. You know, don't never be a grass. A grass was like the worst thing you could be because people would be taken from their families and locked away for years and years. And, you know, like grasses and nonces were the, were the, were the two things. Um, sounds like, sounds like, like a saying good, about moustaches, isn't it? Sounds you know like goodfellas. Yeah. You know the saying about moustaches? Only nonces and grasses wear moustaches. That's, <laughs> that's why I always have a beard and never right, attach. Right, right, right. I've never heard that. Never you never heard, heard that? Never heard that. Yeah, well, that's like that's the environment I, I was brought up in, you know. That you just, um, yeah, you, you know, and we didn't like. There was no outsiders. It was very, very, very clicky, and um, yeah. But then later on, you know, my dad, he, he always sort of dabbled in like pills and drugs, and then he started sort of selling heroin when it first came into the area, right. and then he got addicted to heroin, and then it just ripped it just ripped my family apart, you know, and. Um, and yeah, like and, and like at one point now, my uncles were on it, my aunties were on it, and just it was just. How old was you then, George? So, I mean, I was young. I must have been about four, four or five. You know, my earliest memories are like there, there, there was always drugs in the house, puff or or something. You know, and dra and dramas. Um, yeah, like yeah, terrible. Did, did you? Did you? Um... I mean, did you have any awareness what was going on or did you just, was that normal? Because you sort of come downstairs and there was the drug paraphernalia around. 
it was yeah, my I mean, choice. it's really sad thinking back. I, like, you know, I wasn't allowed in the room at one point. I remember my dad used to make these like plasticine superheroes for me. And he'd say, I'll make you a plasticine superhero, wait outside the door. And I'd be waiting out there for ages while they were just sitting in there t taking drugs. You know what I mean? And like, I think at that time it was probably like puffing and drinking. And then slowly like the, the heroin came along. And by the grace of God, my mum never liked it or never took it. And she just was like, she didn't want her kids growing up in that environment. So she, she rightly so got us out of there. But before that, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of drama. Like um, my mum and dad used to fight terribly. And the problem was, is that we, uh, it, where we lived in Hoxton, we, in the flats, we, over the road was my, was my, my nan and all my uncles and they were heavy, you know what I mean? So my, my dad used to try and get heavy with my mum and then she'd just ring her uncles and they'd come over and just belt the life out of him. Oh, and I remember being a kid and just my sister cuddling me and like, you know, really heavy trauma. And like my, 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 um, my dad screaming as he's getting a belt in from my like, heavy uncle. You can you imagine, know. you wouldn't want fucking Nelly McLean knocking on your door, would you? Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Lenny, yeah, he, he belt you just for, you know. I mean, he was a ferocious, ferocious fighter. Yeah. Um, and obviously he he come out of you know that sort of security criminal world and and become an actor didn't he? He did. He did. Lockstep yeah, was his yeah, movie debut, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, he was he was like the legend in our family. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like like when Lenny was about, it was like a movie star was about. You know, and my nan loved him and my, and my uncle Martin it especially like just idolised him and yeah you know so and he was just a larger than life character. Mark the thing that they don't get right about Lenny is his humour. Right. And in in the Hoxton, where he could have been a stand-up comic, honestly, it was so funny, mate, so funny. I only met him once, right. but when I met him, I looked at him and I went, "This geezer's like a fucking unit because his head was like that, his yeah. hands were like that, yeah." And he was just so big, you know, he was like a cartoon character. Yeah, and he had presence, but he knew how to use it. He knew in a room like like he was like a sight to behold. Do you know what I mean? So he he, he had presence. He knew he was a force to be reckoned with. When he spoke, and he really liked yeah, that. Wasn't he? And he would hold the attention of the room, and he loved the attention. You know what I mean? And he would just hold the center of the room, and and that's why I mean he could have been a comic. You know, I Did remember you? him telling me a story yeah. about um, he, I think he was like at the Hippodrome or one of these places, and a tramp was uh, he come out, and a tramp was trying to steal his tires, and so he said he got him by the scruff of the neck. He said I couldn't belt him. You know what I mean? So he took him into the cloakroom. He gave him a pen and paper and made him write a thousand lines. I must not steal Lenny's tires. You know what I mean? That's the type, that's the humour. Whoever he did that on, I don't know, he probably did, but you know. That's funny. Just, he was just a funny, funny man, you know? And uh, they don't really capture that. And, uh, did you watch that film, My Name is Lenny? I'm in it. Right. I'm in it. I played Frank Warren in it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. you know, no, the only reason I'm, I was asking was because uh, that was a film that I didn't get to see. Ah. Oh. Um, but um, I, I was going to ask you what you thought about it. Yeah, no, no, it was a, it was a, it's a good effort, you know. It was a really good film. I think that, um, you know, the, the the lead guy in it, he, he really like looked like Lenny, and um, you know, my cousin Jamie produced it, and he did a fantastic job producing it, and I think it done really well, you know. And um, yeah, yeah, it it, it kind of captured that time, that period of time. Because obviously, MH, your friend Craig Fairbrass was in the in the frame to play Lenny McLean years ago, wasn't he? Yeah, when, he uh, was, and he would have been perfect. Who was, was the um, there was a guy, this was like years ago, wasn't it, trying to, yeah. trying to put together a movie about him? So what what I kind of know about that is I, I don't know the ins and outs, but I think a guy like bought the rights and had the rights to it. And that's why they got in just like basically like, you know, contract hell through trying to get it produced. And I think that the, the guy owned the rights and they had to wait for the rights to run out. And he basically wasn't getting it made. And and so it just they just missed their window with, with Craig. But Craig, I mean, Lenny wanted... 
Lenny wanted him to. Um, they saw him the doors together, didn't they? So yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I think he he would have he would have been perfect. You know, I couldn't have thought of a uh, better person really to play him. Yeah, um, yeah. So so uh, so 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 obviously you've gone through this, you know, traumatic childhood, um, and then what happened with your dad? Did it? So did basically, it... then my mum my mum left my left my dad, you know, and um, and it's it, you know, and I don't know whether it's sort of like growing up on the outskirts of, of society, but my mum, you know, um, when you're from that criminal class, you're very suspicious of the mainstream narrative. You know, and so that my, my mum's always sort of thought outside the box, and um, and uh, one of the ways she sort of done that was was firstly was through like nu nutrition, like food that she ate. My mum was eating like macrobiotic organic food for for as long as I can remember. You know, it, the first whole food shops in in London she would go to and be eating organic organic food. And my other family like used to laugh laugh at us, you know, because we weren't allowed like certain things. We'd have to put our own salt and vinegar on our crisps. We weren't allowed <laughs> sugar. And I'd go to my nans and I'd want like, you know, Marx's chocolate biscuits and my uncles would come in and go, get back over there. You're not allowed that. Right. You know what I mean? You're allowed, yeah, they have some nuts, you know, take the piss out of me. But like, uh, but little did they know that like, you know, now like organic food and this commonplace, you know, everyone's eating organic food and, 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 and sort of all. You know, my mum was was vegan before it was called to be vegan. No dairy, no bread. You know, yeah. really like hardcore into a nutrition. So, and also she really um, supported anything that I did create. So anything I took an interest in, she got behind me. That's what you need as a kid. Don't she you? encouraged me like creatively, and I could she and she showed me a lot of love. You know, like I was brought up with a lot of love, and she really anything creative. Like if I wanted to paint or draw, she'd buy me all the paints. Or, might sure a few, right. you know. She'd like get me all the gear, you know, and um, and um, I remember sort of being a young kid, and I, you know, my area was the area of the video shop. Right. Good you know, days, I grew up in fucking video shops. That was my area, like going in a video shop on a Saturday and perusing all the covers, you know, um, the odd pirate from behind the behind the counter, and look and and taking them two or three films. So that was my that was our internet back then, you know, right. the Atari. Games didn't quite yeah. do it, so we watched films, and right. um, and my childhood logic was like, if I, if I'm an actor, I can be a soldier, you know, a doctor, a, a fireman. I was gonna say policeman, but you know, never. Frank Warren. Frank Warren. <laughs> you know, Basil and Joe. <laughs> so that, for, for, you know, that was my childhood, you know, logic of like sort of saying I can be anything if I, if I can, right. I, you know. And I loved films, so my mum put my name down. When I was about five, six, at the Anna Shear Theatre, wicked, and it was a four-year waiting list, <clears throat> and then and then I went there, and, and that's how sort of like the acting thing came about. Yeah, because it was funny because when I was when I was at school, um, I remember the drama people. It was just like the, the weirdos that did. It, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I never did the drama at school because I was yeah. always like, oh no, the weirdos do that. Tending to be a leaf. Yeah, and all that. Tree, I'm a tree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, that in the share is a great, I mean, I, I've it? never been, mm. but everyone I know said it was a breeding ground for, for great actors and actresses. It's a fantastic place. And you know, four year waiting list, it didn't matter, you know, if you had money or not. So, so you know, there were kids out of the flats there and there was, you know, um, politicians' children there, you know, so it was a melting pot of all different people. And, um, and it was just great, and everyone was equal, and you all got a chance to perform. Did you stay stay in Hoxton then? Uh, no, we sort of moved around. We went to like Victoria Park for a little while, you know, and then and then back, and then we moved back to, to like Old Street. Um, and with era. your with your with your dad, did he like get off 
the, the drugs and then change it, it, ways. Do you know what? It was always off and on, off and on, and and then um, sort of like the uh, he's 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 very ill now at the moment, and and the last the last eleven twelve years we've 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 got very close, and he sort of he he sort of slowed everything down. Do you know what? It's, like, it's really good to hear that, George, because you know, like when I sort of grew up, my my, my dad was bang on the drink, not gotcha. drugs, just bang on the drink. Yeah, and it's a similar sort of thing where my mum and dad went like that because of the way my dad behaved. And then you sort of don't have that father figure in your life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the one thing it did, it put me off fucking drinking sure. like that. And I'm sure that's probably put you off. Well, well, drugs, you know, I'd like to say it did. It put me off taking it, it, heroin, but like drugs are like a massive part of my story. I'm, I'm, I'm like 15 years clean in recovery. Oh, really? Yeah. Right, so okay. I haven't had a drink for 15 years. I'm in my 15th year. Of recovery, you're so but, bubbly and happy, George. When I see it at the premiere, I thought he's got, he's got <laughs> no, a no, couple no. of drinks, mate. No, 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 you're just on the OJ. No, it <laughs> took a long time for me to, to to get like that, you know, because when I first stopped drinking, I was really self conscious in social situations because I'd always and it wasn't really the drink, if I'm honest, that was the problem. It always led to the other gear, and that was my real problem, you know. And so, so. Uh, you know, even though I had all them examples of not to go down that road, I had like, you know, like my sister never touched a drink or a drug, you know, and, um, well, she, she has a little drink, like a normal person, oh, but she's never been in, in, into it. But, um, for some reason I just gravitated towards drinking. I almost had like this fixation on myself. I was obsessed with them, right. drugs. Like I thought people that took drugs were caught cool, uh, for some reason. That I'm is, always... that is a narrative though, isn't it? If you look at a lot of kids now, um, and, and I've noticed this, like, I mean, we're in 2023 now, but... Obviously, when you go out now, I mean, you go to a restaurant and people come out of the toilet sniffing. Um, you go, you go it, or, or everywhere. Yeah. And you just yeah. like, and to me, it's sort of like, like, because I've obviously put on events and I've been around people, you know when people are fucking off their nuts. <laughs> of course. So, and it, and it does shock me at how many people you meet in the randomest places. Like you go in a hotel and you're walking in a hotel and someone walks past you going, and you're just <laughs> yeah. like, what is fucking wrong with these people? You know I, mean? I mean, it's kind of like socially accepted. So that was the confusing thing for me. So when I was sort of like, so I went to, I went to like Anna Shears and I, I was like a child actor and I was in, I was at Anna Shears with some great people, you know, like, re, like some really Please good... tell me you was in Grain Jill. I wasn't actually. It's the one show I, I wasn't in. A lot of friends that were in Grain Jill. Roland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Funny enough, like I lived a couple of doors uh, uh, along from um, Zamo, uh, um, Lee, uh, I forget, forget his second name now. I know you mean. Yeah. I was brought up on Grange Hill. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so Lee, Lee and his family lived a, lived a couple of doors along from me. But um, now Grange Hill was one of the things that I wasn't in. But I, like at a very young age, like I sort of did EastEnders, I had a little stint in there. How old was you when you got your first break then, George? What was it? You I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, uh, I, I first started acting, I wouldn't call it a break, but uh, uh, you know, my first ever job was That's a right, yeah. my first ever job was a radio play called Shambolic Rainbow with Neil Maskell. Right, amazing. Me and him, and I think it was his first job as well. He's That's great, a, Neil. I ain't yeah, seen him for great, that. mate. He's great. He's been my friend all through my life, really. He's, he, he, I always remember the first time I met him on the first Rise of the Foot Soldier film. Mm. And um, I, did you remember that scene where Pat's in the hospital bed? Yeah, there's a girl with her tits out, yeah, yeah. and everyone's sniffing coke off of her tits, and like we're shaking the bed, and everyone's going ah, and literally he had to walk in, and when he walks in, he just for the rehearsal, he just looks around as if to say like, what the fuck am I walking into? Here? <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. I mean? I'm a serious actor, you know. <laughs> 
Um, but Neil's, Neil's great. I mean, I've worked, worked with him on a few things. Yeah. But I've, I'm seeing him, his career go from strength to strength. Mate, he's always he's knew that he was going to do something special. Like, he's just directed and written his first feature. And that's what I always had him pegged as. He was always a great actor. Right. But his real talent was always like when, when he used to write plays. And he's so well read. He's such an intellectual. He reads he the Guardian. So he? much. He reads the Guardian. I mean, I mean, he's always been really, really clever. Like, uh, my, like my my mum used to say, like he was fourteen going on forty. You know, years ago, he's. Well, it's like really, Dexter Fletcher, mm, great actor, mm, but as a director, he's just like taking over Hollywood. Isn't take, he? Taking off. So Neil's managing to sort of tread both worlds. You know, he's a fantastic actor, one of my favourite actors, and you know, and he's a, he's a, he's going to be a brilliant writer director, no doubt. Uh, Do you know what the film's called? Uh, Cl Clockered Luda. Right. It's a it's a Bel it's, it's a Belgian word. I'm not quite sure what it means actually, but I know that his wife is right, from uh, Belgium. Yeah, amazing. amazing. Well, yeah. I have to look out for that. Mm, it's got really good reviews, and uh, yeah, it's done it's done well. So 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 that was your first, you know, break or yeah. first job, whatever yeah. you call it. And then, um, so where'd you go from there? Did you get an agent? So yeah, there was an agency with the Anashir Theatre. So so I worked pretty much like consistently, you know, up until um, sort of like my early to late, late teens. And um, at the same time, you know, I started, like I started puffing, found girls, you know, I was taking ease and trips and all that, like at a, quite a young age, too young really. And um, by the age of like 15, I was like knocking about with some older, like older people. How old people. Huh? 15? About 15, 16. Okay, you was, you, you started young. Oh, I did, mate. <laughs> I was like puffing at 12, 12 you know, 11, 12 puffing drawer and like, you know, um, and um, yeah, so like by 15, 16, like I was knocking about with some older people and uh, like a close, close friend of mine, still a really close friend. Like he, he, he come from a very religious family and, um, and like we've done all these drugs together. I don't know if they'd fuck, fuck my head up, but I, I think I was always looking for something till, always looking for something more. You know, I believe that when we're born as as, as kids, we're like connected to, to absolutely to a power. You know, um, I don't want to call it God because there's so much baggage with that word, but they're connected to the universe, to whatever it is, nature. You know, when I used to watch my little girl playing with like a an apple or something, she'd be like, you know, just a wonder in her eyes, just playing right. with it, just connected and tuned in. And somewhere along the line, I lost that connection. You know, and I think I looked for it in other things, and drugs, I think, was one of the things where I, where I sort of found some sort of I don't know. It, it hit the spot for me somehow. I, some I, had, I had a similar experience, and I I actually put your experience down to my experience. In that we had absent fathers, right? And I think when you have an absent father, you haven't got a role model, you haven't got that male guiding thing, mm. and and you always, like you said, looking for something. And and how I dealt with it is is I'd never been christened or or confirmed, right? Um, but it was a church on my estate, and I went there and. Did it all. Right. Because I thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as as I've got older, yeah, I've looked back on my life and I've gone, you know, God is whatever you want it to be. Exactly. Right? It's it a very a personal man. thing, isn't it? It can be a woman. Mm. Religion is really like you might be a Muslim, I might be a Christian, you might be a Roman Catholic. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Right? We're all one. Yeah. We're all the same. Mm. We just have different interpretations of what God is to us. Yeah. And and the thing is, I genuinely believe um that all the religions do actually divide people because sure. there's been wars since the beginning of time where people have persecuted other people because they don't agree with their religion or their yeah. God or their, their views. And I genuinely think that the universe, and I think when you're searching for what the meaning is or you're searching for something that feels like it's missing, yeah. um, 
you know, I actually believe acting is a spiritual thing. Because oh, 100%. When you're doing 100%. that stuff, yeah. you're, you're channeling those characters. Yeah. You're, you're, you're working. There is that sort of, it feels spiritual. It feels well, it is, mate, because like for me, acting, it, all, all acting is, is for me is being in the moment and being present. Obviously, there's a lot of work I'll do beforehand, we do beforehand and, you know, to try and get to that to that spot. And some people have it more intuitively than others. Others are just able just to do it. But, you know, um, you know, so we do all our prep, but ultimately it's about being in the moment. And all the real good stuff is the spontaneous stuff. All the real magic happens when you're in the present, you know. And um, and that's what I believe it is, you know, you, you know be, being in the now and it's channeling, you know, that presence. Like for me, it's about I, I try and really just listen to my breathing before before I take or before you go on stage. And sometimes I rub my hands just to feel, you know, that I'm here and now and then try and be in the moment as much as possible. You know, so it is, it is definitely spiritual. It's like a meditation almost. And when you're in that flow state, you're right. It does feel spiritual. Um, so, so going back to the... The, the the drug stuff, right? Yeah. So obviously you're going out, you're partying, you're drinking, you're smoking, you're pilling, you're doing whatever. You've got all these girls, you're having a great time. Um, when 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 did when would you say was when you actually went and you, and you saw the light and you went, I, I need to stop doing this. Well, it was a long it was a long time actually. So what happened was what happened was um, so I was puffing. Then I got into religion with my friend for a little while and I stopped everything. And I was like, I've always been very obsessive, so I was like obsessed with it. I was like almost fanatical, like. You know, and and then and then at about eighteen, I was seeing all my other mates. You know, partying, birds, they're out raving and all that. And I just I consciously made a decision to walk away from religion, and that had a real detrimental um, effect on me because I believed that because I could I wasn't following a certain religion, right. I couldn't have a relationship with a with a higher power. Right. And so that's when my drug taking took off, and that's when the cocaine come in. And I started, got, I got into cocaine and at that time, you know, people were all pressing it and like, you know, s selling keys and just gear, just seemed to be just gear everywhere. You know, you're talking about like the late 90s, early 2000s. It stopped being a really expensive drug, which I believe it is again now, I believe it's quite expensive now, some of the good stuff, but uh, it's sort of become like you could just, anyone could afford it. I mean, I, 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 mean I, I know like when, when I talk to people that are older, um, you know, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, if you did that, it was like a posh person's exactly. drug. You know, because it was expensive. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't get hold of it for you. Right. And then it does seem like the, the the late 90s, I mean, we've noticed this in the club scene, it went from everyone being happy, yeah. everyone have a good time, to people sniffing and smoking crack. And then literally it, it, the mood changed. Yeah. The guns come out, the knives come out. It was really, it went really dark. So exactly. So I caught the tail end of that rave scene and then right. the jungle scene, which I was banging to the jungle yeah. scene. Well, you must and have it, come to a rave, One Nation. Probably did come to a One Nation. <laughs> and, and, I, and I loved the jungle scene, you know what I mean? But there was always that element of like cracking. Like there was just, it was like, it was dark. It was kind of, um, it was the style of the music, you know what I mean? And then, but once the ga garage scene kicked in and the Charlie kicked in, yeah. It was like suits, whistles, Gucci loafers, back to the wall. Champagne. Champagne, everyone, <laughs> all different firms nutting at each other from across right. the room. No one was really dancing and getting down, you know what I mean? Like they used to in the, in the, in, you know, in the jungle days. So the vibe, the vibe changed, you know? Well, we, we, I always remember there was a mad story at the Coliseum in Vauxhall right. where some girl had had a row with somebody and somebody pulled a gun out and they'd gone outside um, and they shot whoever this was and then put them in a fucking wheelie bin then went back into the rave. And like a few days later, when they come to empty the wheelie bin, there was a fucking 
dead person that had been shit. shot in the fucking yeah. wheelie bin outside the, in the back of the club. Shit. I mean, that shit was like crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, I think I sold my business and come out of that scene in 2003. Right. And that was really when it, it got so bad. Yeah. You'd ring up the club and say, I want to book the club. And they'd be like, what music is it? And you'd be like, no thanks. For the <laughs> what was it? The garage, all the garage music. Garage. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, the we, we, we did Brixton Academy for our, our last ever One Nation. We had right. 5,000 people in there. But with the garage, because you had So Solid Crew, Heartless Crew, you had all Pay As You Go Cartel, you had all these crews. Yeah. Um, and then you had all, all you had the drive-by shootings. It all got so bad. Yeah. So bad that the law enforcement the clubs, everyone was like, the councils, they were all like, you know, who's planning this event? And you'd be like, well, we want to put, no, 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 no. I mean, they yeah. pulled the So Solid Cruise tour because mm. it wasn't necessarily them that was causing the problem, but the people that was following them, um, you know, you get people from South London that don't mix with the people in North London and East London and West Gosh. London, yeah. and then you'd have some from Manchester, some yeah. from Birmingham, and they'd all be in the same place. And it's just literally going to go off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so that's... One of the reasons which why. sort of went away, like that tribalism that came, you know, that went, you know, the football tribalism that sort of went away with the, uh, you know, the, the the second summer of love with all the ease and all right. that, you know, um, uh, that that sort of came back, didn't it, in a in a, in a weird way? With, it was weird because because uh, I can't remember who said this, right? But someone said to me, if the government had invented ecstasy, which they didn't, yeah. but if they had it done, it was the most genius invention of all time because it made Everyone in the recession happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. all the footballigans that would want to stab and kill each other, all cuddling each other, exactly. saying, I fucking love you. Yeah, yeah. You know I, mean? I remember someone saying if they really want to solve the problem in the Middle East or these problems, just drop a load of like the old doves, you know, the old, proper old love doves, and it'd soon be wagging and kissing. And, you know. the, thing, the thing is, though, do you know what? As I've, as I've got older and I've looked more at the world, um, I do actually think that everybody just gets everybody at it. So yeah. I, I genuinely think the world is a peaceful place. Yeah. And I think actually everybody just wants to get on yeah. and, and, and earn a living. But I just think that there's certain people. Um, well, it's egos to, and it's egos as well. Decide, well you, we don't like what you're doing here. Yeah. Stop doing it. And then you go, fuck you. And then I'm having a problem with you. And then they're getting involved. So, uh, but then obviously there's money being made, right? Mm, so mm, mm, <laughs> I don't yeah. think, I, you know, someone said to me the other day, um, if there's a war, there's normally a reason for that. And it's not always because of religion or politics. Or some moral it's, reason. It's it's sometimes it's because yeah. they want some money or they don't like sure. the person that's running that and they need somebody else to come in. Sure. Um, I mean, we don't know what goes on behind we're, doors, we're, we're just We're just, you know, actors mm. and fucking film producers. You know, I'm sure there's a lot more. <laughs> and, and, and since the advent of the internet, like, I mean, years ago, you would be able to, like, um, you know, in my nan and granddad's days, you'd be... You know, you'd be able to whip the whole country up into a frenzy. They'd be queuing up to go to war. Now, since the internet, we're all a little bit more, you know, dubious. We realise there's a lot more to it, and um, we don't necessarily believe the uh, the the narrative. You know, the party line. We we um we we tend to question it a lot more. And definitely, like us working class people and us criminal class people, we've always, you know, like people like my mum has always been suspicious of 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 you know the government or the or the mainstream. Right. You know, it's just the way we are, suspicious by nature, you know. Well, I, well I, I, someone said to me, you know, in life, and this is a good lesson for, you know, younger people watching and listening to this podcast and older people, you know, whatever anybody tells you, always question it. Always just because someone it. says to you, if you go outside, you know, the sun's shining, right, you go outside and it's raining, you go, well, I thought the sun was shining. But, you know, you've got to check, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and someone said to me the other day, 
they they was talking about something, and I said, um, I said, I said, I've never heard so much shit in all my life, right? I said, where'd you get this shit from? And they said, oh, well, I typed it into Google and I fact checked it, and it said it's true. And I said, mate, I said, who do you think's fucking fact checked in it? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I said, so you know, if if somebody tells you something or if something is on the internet. Just because it's on the doesn't mean it's doesn't true. Doesn't mean it's true. Right? And so you can't some, even believe what you see now with all the AI and, you know, I mean, that's scary. deep fake that and all scary. this stuff. So, you know. I mean, you know, they they could actually deep fake you, George. Yeah. Walking down the road saying whatever they want you to say mm, mm. and then go, oh, look, we just saw George outside um, outside a film premiere talking about whatever. Whatever. And then all of a sudden. Yeah, it's scary. It, I mean, it's no, it scary. is, mate. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary times, you know. But I think I'd, I'd, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've talked about, obviously, what's made you George Russo. And, uh, you know, you've obviously done these these acting jobs. And um, would you say, out of your career, that you, you you know, if someone says send you a script, I mean, what sort of roles do you, do you gravitate to? Do you sort of like playing a bad guy or do you like playing, you know? I mean, I, I mean I'm primarily like a drama person you know i like drama so like um my, my favorite era of film like my wife <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 mine too but um like um yeah so so like my favorite era of filmmaking is like the american films of this like the 70s you know so all the great they the movies they're the best so like taxi driver yeah you know one flew over a cuckoo's nest you know apocalypse now all the great movies there of that of that era were the, are my favorite films sort of like today and i tend to rewatch a lot of those so anything that has like a lot of layer to it obviously i write a lot of stuff you know and um you know, the, the, the work that i've that i've written myself and been in um that's that's the, the stuff that i've enjoyed doing doing the most because obviously it's that it's dealing with subject matters and things that uh that that, that i want to write about and want to want to talk about you know so so there's not i mean when you talk about movies right um and i always think and, and peter vast been this and i'm sure peter vast do it as well mm. and i think the, the stupidest question anybody could ask anybody is what's your favorite gangster film yeah because there isn't one there isn't one <laughs> there's no. probably no. 10 yeah um what would you i mean you know if i put you on the spot now i don't want you to to put me in any order yeah. But what would you say were the films that you watched um, that were sort of because obviously it's a crime podcast. I mean, I mean you know? yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, there's so many good gangster films, and obviously the Americans do it so, so well, you know, like and and that's why I think it's a genre that can be done well, you know, and I think it has been done badly here in the in the UK, and obviously like we we did um like uh, like there was Lockstock, and that sort of set off this trend of where. You know, you had this Cockney, Cockney geezers, and and then a lot of people that had no sort of business writing films started to write them, and you know, and they've become almost like a parody of themselves. Right. You know, but I still think there's, uh, um, like a, uh, you know, an opportunity to to do some really quality genre, you know, gangster films that have drama, almost like in the vein of the seventies, and that's what we tried to do with sort of villain. But you know, my favourite film, hands down, of, of all time, I can say what my favourite film. Oh, really? Yes, one. Yeah, it's Taxi Driver. Wow, and uh, that's a little uh, homage to Taxi wow. Driver there. But like, it's it's it's. Go on, George, do it. I think it's the. What's that? Oh, oh yeah, no, no I won't. Me. I won't embarrass myself. Oh come on, <laughs> give us <laughs> no, your best no. in the air, mate. <laughs> Afterwards, but, but you know, yeah, I think it's a. Although, like, I think you know, probably Casino and and like Wolf of Wall Street uh, and um, you know, Goodfellas are, are better made films. I just think it's where. Um, Scorsese found his voice. It's where performance and writing portrayed his script, like it just all comes together. For me, it's, it's just a masterpiece and I watch it at least like once a year. 
But, um, you know, Goodfellas is up there, you, you know, obviously in Casino and Scarface. For me, for me, Casino and Scarface are like the Wanderers and the Warriors. Yeah. They're like ones like an opera larger than life, like cocaine and, you know, and then Goodfellas is more sort of like low key, you know, like 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 the movie The Wanderers. You know that movie, The Wanderers? Yeah, yeah, of course. Classic film. I, I, I genuinely, like, I remember when I was, I, I felt I was 16 mm. and someone said to me, have you seen, we was talking about gangster films, and they said, have you seen Scarface? And I yeah. said, no. And they give me the DVD or the VHS or whatever it was of this film, and I watched it, and I was like, oh, my fucking yeah. God. And I remember saying to somebody, that was fucking unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I, I, I must have watched it fucking 20 times. Mate, and the, like, me and my friends, we just still today, we go back and forth, just quoting it. We don't say anything else. We're just quoting Scarface constantly. Like, Why don't you put your head up Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many in there. There's just <laughs> hundreds of them, you know? <laughs> And uh, and all the characters, and it's one of them. You know, the truly great films are the ones that you can watch and you notice something different every time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, the, uh, I think I was watching was that uh, Quadrophenia was on the other day, and and then I realised that, that in the same year, you know, Quadrophenia was made, Scum was made, yeah, uh, Wanderers, The Warriors. It was like like the, the greatest year for like youth youth movies, you know, yeah. and. Um, yeah, so uh, this has been some great British. I mean, the Long Good Friday, obviously, uh, yeah, yeah. is obviously a classic. Um, Thing is, though, even though and it performance was, as well, performance with Mick Jagger. Even though the Long Good Friday was a great film, um, and we have had some great British films here, right? yeah, gangster films. But I do think, like you said earlier, the Americans, you know, Scarface, Scorsese. I mean, there's just so many. I mean, yeah, and the bar's so high. I mean, yeah. you know. Um, but that's why I think we can do them over here because the bar isn't so high, and there's there's a there's an opportunity for for us to make like really good crime movies that have like layer and like if you know you know script writing and you can put like subtext and story and heart and you know and and, and melodrama because really that's what people want to watch. People want to watch the human story. Yeah, you, you, you know, like um, Goodfellas is a love story. You know, do you know what I mean? He's in love with a mob and he's in love with his wife. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. And that's what people really want to watch. They connect to the human element. All the stuff in Scarface with Manny and his sister, that's the real meat and gravy of, of wow. you know, his, his love for Elvira, you know, that's that's the real meat and gravy of the film. The fact that it's not set in a laundrette and it's set in, yeah. you know, in cocaine-ridden, <laughs> you know, Miami in the 80s, is makes the backdrop makes it higher stakes and you want to watch it. But if, you know, there's no reason why we can't make quality British crime movies. I mean, Kalita's Way. Um, oh, I love it. It's, was, I watched was, it the other day. It's it a great, great. movie. I, I didn't think much of Kalita's Way too. <laughs> I didn't see that. I've got to remember. No, it. you haven't missed <laughs> no, it. But, but, the, but the first one yeah. was, was, was unbelievable. Yeah, well, it's Brian De Palma, the same person that did Scarface. It's the same team and a few characters. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, Pacino, um, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, when you look at his career, I think, you know, Scarface, um, uh, Kalito's Way and uh, The Godfather was, you know, one and two. I I, I never really liked the third one. No, um, no. But I've, I I just loved the fact, you know, hearing the story about how that was made. Yeah. And and the fact that, you know, you had, um, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, he wanted Brando, he wanted Pacino, and he was, mm. the studio was like, no fucking way, you're not in the movie, blah, blah, blah. And he fought two for now. Two for now, yeah. And when you watch the movies now, you kind of think this guy, this guy was a genius because you would never in a million years imagine anybody else playing Anybody else, yeah. It's like Sonny, I think that Jack Nicholson, who was one of my favourite actors, I love Nicholson, he was he was offered the part of Sonny, uh, who James Kahn played, and he'd turn it down. But like you can't imagine anyone else playing in Sonny. Yeah. That must have been Thief one of... Thief I love is one of my favourite films. Which one? Thief. 
with James Kahn. Not seen oh, that. I'll have to, oh, mate, I'll have to check that. Right. It's an unreal film. It's, it's Michael Mann who did Heat. So it's almost like it's almost like a prequel to Heat, almost. Unreal film. I love Heat as well. It's a great movie. The Town, another good movie. I didn't like... When I watched Heat, though, I didn't like um, uh, Pacino playing a cop. Yeah. I wanted him to weird. be a bad guy. I know. I wanted him... I, I know what you it, mean. I watched it thinking, it's a great yeah. movie, but yeah. I just wanted him to kill somebody or I know what you chain mean. somebody yeah. up. And... Yeah. But, you know, you either have De Niro as the cop or Pacino. You can't have them both, really. Yeah, but you yeah. needed them both as the bad guys and have someone but, else's. Yeah, maybe. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it was it was a good movie. Great film. But, but, but when would you say... I mean, obviously, that was when you had your first break. Yeah. Um. And then when did you play your first sort of, you know, what f was the first gangster film or the first crime role that you played? So, so, so then basically, so then, so then obviously I, like my, my sort of acting career from being like late teens sort of petered out and like I got into the drugs quite, things got quite bad actually. But all the way through that period, I was writing a film. Right. Like I met, I met a guy that I'd, I'd auditioned for and we tried to get this feature off the ground and he became a, a mentor and a collaborator, a friend of mine called Lee Sales. Right. And, um, and so that film didn't happen, but we started writing a, a, a film together. And during sort of like my ups and downs and the dramas that were going on, I still managed to write this film. Wow. And then it's so amazing. Like as soon as I, I got into recovery um, um, and, and sort of, um, you know, dealt with my, my, my addiction, um, opportunities just started opening up. Neil Maskell actually asked me to be the lead in his short. It's an obscure little film called Shit Kicker. Right. You can't find it really anymore, right. but it's a great little short. And um, and through that, I met the people that went on, then went on to produce m my first feature that I'd written called Turnout. Right. And uh, Neil Masco helped me get that off the ground, and uh, and that was like the first sort of proper proper thing that I, that I did. I remember I, that. You, yeah. Uh, uh, Fernando was in that. One. Peter Ferdinando, oh, yeah. Neil Masco, Ophelia, Lovey Bond, um, great great cast, and um, and and the, the James friend who, who shot it won the Academy Award um, this year. I think it was this year. Yeah, he won the Academy Award for All Quiet on the Western Front. So we got an Academy Award winning DOP on it. It's a great movie, but it got picked up by Revolver. Yeah. And when they went under, the film sort of went under and it went somewhere else. We, had, we had a few problems with them as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the one of the one of the big biggest challenges of film. You yeah. know, distributors going out of business, sales mm. agencies going mm. out of business. And uh, I mean, Revolver in their day were... Probably the best. That's why we went with them because they were the biggest. But Vertigo wanted it at the same time. But, you know, I don't think they offered as much money. And I was, I wanted to go with Vertigo, but... Vertigo, have, uh, out of all the still companies, have, have been the most staunch and the yeah. most reliable. Proper. You know, it's the good. Best. It's good. Yeah. done very yeah. well. And um, so um, so that film's with 101 now, a company called 101. And I've been speaking to them all year because the film, like they couldn't, they didn't know they, even, they had the film. Drives were somewhere else, and they just had artwork. But I managed to get it all together. I've got everything to them, and they're going to try and get it on one of the platforms. Um, so I mean, one, people to see it because no one really saw it till yeah. you know. Well, it's a good good time now as well with the strikes and everything. That's exactly. Going on. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, when you was talking about the, the rehab and the recovery, mm. um, obviously people that are listening or watching to this will will definitely have had some yeah. uh, connection with drugs. Maybe they've been through the same yeah. uh, experiences. Maybe they haven't. But I mean, what what was when 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 did you decide to actually make that, you know, step into rehab? So, was, so things things got really bad. I never went rehab. I went and, uh, and went to some groups that really helped me. And if anyone wants to, you know, get in touch with me after, I'll put an e an email, one of the emails that you can contact me on. And if you anyone needs any help in recovery, I can point point them in the right direction amazing. because I I went to some people that had, had had a problem. And they and they dealt with their problem, and then they then in turn help other people, and they they helped me 
you know, with my with my recovery and helped me to get, and I couldn't do it myself. I needed these people um, to help me. What was what, what was some of the things they did? Were they were they just well, they had, they had, they had a program outlined, um, and then we went through the program bit by bit, and um, and it's a tried and true method, like tried method that loads of people have been through, and. Um, yeah, like I said, if anyone, you know, wants to get in touch with me after, I'd be more than, and that's what I do now. I still help people, like, um, in, 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 in recovery and help them to get clean. And that's what, just one of the things that we do. We, we get clean and then we help others get clean and we pass it on. But when you said at the beginning, 15 years, I mean, 15 that is years. a long time. Yeah, and I'd like to take credit for it, but I, I can't. I honestly can't. I couldn't do it myself. You know, my, my life got so bad. You must, you must have learned some discipline to be able to keep it going. This well, long. all I did was I, I took the instruction from these people that had gone before me, and I just put one foot in front of the other and done what they said. And as a result, I've managed to be free uh, by the, you know, by the grace of whatever it is. Um, You've been let go by the cocaine gods. <laughs> yeah, I've been let go by the cocaine. And you know what? I'm not anti-cocaine. Right. Cocaine is just a drug. Right. It's not a problem. It just is what it is. Right. Okay. You know. It's us the, the problem. Like what you said, religion is not a problem. It's the fucking people in the religion that are the problem. It's man. It's always man and his ego and his fear and his selfishness and dishonesty that causes all all the all the trouble. You know, like you say, God is just. If there is a God, it's just love and yeah. connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you, after turnaround, turnout. Yeah. Sorry. What e everyone gets the title, Rob. We should oh, have called it so. Yeah, you should have called it turnaround. <laughs> should have done. <laughs> But now on turnout, I do yeah. remember it now. I can see the things it had uh, Fernando on the front, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. There was a few of us on the front, but they wanted like bit revolver being revolver. They wanted to stick guns on it, and there was not even a gun in well, it. No right. one even got. That's what I remember. Yeah. I'm sure it's him standing with a gun, right? No, it, quite uh, big. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that one. No, no, no. At one point, they wanted a gun. Maybe that's they... turnaround. <laughs> Maybe that's turnaround. It's a different film. But tell. turnout. But turnout was 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 that that was that film. And then where did you go from there? What was your next? Uh... So then, you know, like my, my drive to get that film made was just like, you know, you know what it's like. It was like, I want to get that made. And after that, I can die like an happy man, you know. And then that comes out and you're never happy, are you? No. Like you're always looking at the fucking negatives. Whatever, whatever acting work you did, whatever filmmaking work you did, whatever you end up doing. And it's, and it's, it's a great uh, thing for life. Yeah. When people say, if only I could buy that house, I'd be happy. If only I could buy that watch, if only I could buy them shoes... If only I could marry that woman, everyone has like a list of things they want to achieve. Yeah. Then when they achieve them, they go, oh, my life's complete. And then it's like, actually, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same with films. You, you make a film tomorrow that's number one at the box office in the UK. The next film you want to make, you go, well, I want to make it number one at the box office in every country. Of course. And I think, you know, I think so, the day that you sort of think, oh, I've done it, it's over, isn't it? So you might as well just fucking do something else. Yeah, exactly. So, so that drive, I think that the, the Japanese have got a word for it. They call it Kaizen. Uh, and it's a continual drive for improvement, and, and I think that. you need that as an art, as an artist. You know, like you just want to do better. You want to do better, but I love that. You know, and uh, I think I might be. I might have got it wrong. I don't know. No, Kaizen. I think it is Kaizen. Yeah. Kaizen. It sounds like. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, like that 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 drive for improvement. And it's what drives you. You know, you never do the perfect job. There's always hindsight, and um, you, you always want to do better. So, um, so yeah, you know, finished turnout, got it made, and it was like, well, I want to do something else. You know. And, uh, and and that's what I've been doing, you know, the last sort of eleven years, just writing. You know, I've written, you know, stuff with like, two of my collaborators, which is which are, which are Lee Sales and Greg Hall, who's yeah, a, Greg who's a friend. Great. And me and Greg, you know, we've written like probably like six or seven features together. Every time I speak to Greg, he always makes me laugh because his brother is is actually my accountant. I know. And I know. when I see him, they look 
They're absolute ringers of are each other. Are they really? Yeah, because I've, so I've, I've, I've met his brother once. When I'm talking to, to, to his brother, his older brother, mm. very sensible, very like, you know, refined. And when you speak to Greg, he's obviously a little bit more street. Yeah. And every time I look at him, I always think, am I talking to my camera? <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk to yeah. the writer, director. Yeah, yeah. You know, Greg. Yeah. But he's, he's a good guy, Greg. Yeah, so me and Greg, obviously, we met on Bonded by Blood too. you know, which was your vehicle, right? Oh, we met, we, we met, no, I'll tell you what it was. The Bonded by Blood won, but I think that's the first time we met. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was on that film because you played the lead in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonnie Blood Blood 2, we met on that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I just had a little bit in that. Cause yeah, that's it. I think they just wanted to, I yeah. don't know why, but it was more like... But I think Bernie, you own the rights to it. And uh, No, no. what happened was um, uh, Bernard O'Mahony, right. uh, I think he had some sort... We On the first one, we, we had the rights to make the film and I think he wanted to... Uh, Jonathan Southcott wanted to do Bonnie Blood Blood 2. Yeah. Um, and I think he spoke to Bernard. And for us, it was like, we didn't really want to make Bonnie Blood Blood 2. So yeah. for us, it was like, well, if there's another film that comes out, hopefully it generates some interest. You watch that one, go and watch the first one. So for us, it was more of a... I mean, that story yeah. was an incredible story. Like, this, that story's got so much legs. I don't think we executed it the best. It was really low budget, wasn't it? You know, and, I think um, the problem, I think that's one of the, one of the big problems in the UK is it's not a funding mechanism, right, where you can actually draw down proper money to, to make good quality films. And um, obviously there is, you know, you do get Netflix and Amazon and the studios funded stuff, mm. but they tend to fund stuff that, you know, is star-driven, director-driven, mm -hmm. the, the writer-driven. And obviously when you do that, all of a sudden the budget's not going to be half a million or a million, it's going to be like 10 or 15 or 20 yeah, million. Yeah, yeah, So it's always very difficult to get mm. those films put together because you know if you went to Guy Ritchie and said oh Guy um, you know I want to attach you to this project he's probably going to go well mate I can write my own stuff and I can pick up the phone to Henry Cavill Jason exactly. Statham and I can just do it myself yeah, yeah. And, and and when you're in that position of power I, and and I don't blame any of the, no. these people for doing it because I do it do you know yeah, what I mean why would you outsource when yeah. you can do it all yeah, in why would I want to yeah. help you yeah. do your stuff when I do it well, myself help, me, help <laughs> myself yeah. yeah but like that story was brilliant you know, that yeah, was a really good. brilliant story. And the guy that I played, Damon Alvin, there was a really mad connection that I didn't know at the time. So obviously, right. like, I'm big into sort of trying to do research if there is any. Is it Ricky Percival? He was in that as well, wasn't he? He was in that as Ricky well. Ricky Percival, Damon Alvin. Damon Alvin yeah. and the young kid, uh, is it Dean Blundell? Yeah, I think so. Dean, was it Blundell? I think it could Blund be. It might be, Blund yeah, yeah. Blundell, I think. I got the young boy that got killed. Anyway, Damon Alvin obviously went into the witness protection program. And so I was trying to find out as much as I could and you couldn't. It was not even a photograph of him. After the film come out, I found out that my 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 dad's sister owned the pub, was the landlady of the pub that they used to go in where a lot of the film was set, called The Woodcutters. Right. She was the landlady. She knew Damon. She knew all that mom. So right. I could have spoken to her, but, yeah. you know, missed a trick there. But, you know, that's hindsight. Another right? mad bit of synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's the odds of that? That my, my, At that time when that was all going on, my, my aunt. Was the was was the landlady, you know, of that pub? And and then what happened after Bonded by Blood Two? What, what did you do after that? So then we were just like me and Greg met on that. So that's how me and we were sort of in a similar position, you know. We saw all we 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 got the same taste in films, music. Lived around the corner from each other. Right. Um, my, we had daughters the same age, and we were just like let's let's do something together. And we just clicked. And then ever since then, me and him have been me and him have been writing. And obviously, we've written a couple of shorts that I've led and he's directed that have done really well. The last one, Baby Boy, was like yeah, on I saw that. Channel good. 4 for like a year and it, you know, got into the Irish Prize, which is a massive, um, you know, massive festival. And um, 
And then we wrote Villain, which 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 obviously that got that got made by it's Phil Barantini. Number one on Netflix as well, wasn't it? Yeah, number one on Netflix in the UK and in New Zealand and Australia. You know, uh, New York Times Critics Choice. You know, done really really well. And obviously Phil Barantini, Bart Ruspoli, who produced it, and and uh, the, the 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 DOP Matthew, forget his second name now, but he um they all went on and did Boiling Point. You know, nominated for BAFTA as a shooting TV series now. You know, so they're all, um, you know, it was a good team and, and um, the film, yeah, come out really well. But it's you know? good It's good when you're, whether you're an actor, whether you're a writer, whether you're a producer, whether you're a director of any film yeah. that does any any sort of business, you know. And, uh, you know, Villain, you know, it was, I mean, I watched it and I thought it was a well put together film. Yeah. And, and I thought it was a good vehicle for you. Obviously, Craig done, done a great job in it. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I'm sure... Um, villain two will happen at some point. Well, you know, some some we're working on something. I don't know about a two, but something set in the villain universe. You know, like something something of that thing. And I, you know, and that's it was just an example of like it was obviously really low budget. Yeah. Um, we we needed more money really to do all that we wanted to do, so we had to sort of change the script quite a lot because the script was a little bit more um, art house. But you know, we made a great film, and it's just an example of like. You know, you don't you can you can write good stuff, good genre stuff. I mean, I felt one of the films I loved recently was it was a few years ago now, but The Drop. Did you see that movie, The Drop? Um, James Gandolfini and Tom Hardy. Yeah, of course, it's a simple yeah, yeah. story, amazing film. You know, and I, I, that was a big inspiration for like Villain because uh, like you can write these really good, you know, crime movies. Um, and they don't need to be schlocky, and they don't need to be go fall onto a cliche. Or, or you know exposition. You can write really intelligent crime pieces. If one, you know how to write. Two, you've got good points of reference, so you've got good taste. And three, you know that world. Right, you right, see, right. you come from that world. I come from that world. I'm not. I'm not a gangster. Not nobody. But I've. I know that world. I know right. when I'm being lied to and when I'm being told right, the truth. Right. It's like Succession as well. Though. I think we all know yeah. Succession, the mo uh, the, the series. Right? Do you see? It? Yeah. Of course. So, so I'm not a billionaire. I don't knock about with billionaires. But when I'm watching it, I feel like I'm being told the truth. Right. Because there's truth in it. Because love, there's an authenticity. You know. I love Brian Cox's character. Oh, mate, he's right. brilliant. He's Thank brilliant. You. And what's the other? Is it Tom McFadden? Is that his name? Uh, the guy. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, is it no Dan? It's Dan McFadden, the guy that plays Tom. Anyway, that fucking guy, you know, real. They're all great, but he's no. It's, is it Matthew McFadden? Matthew McFadden. Yeah. That's it. He's out of this world. That guy. But he plays Tom in the in that's the it. show. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. I thought, I thought. I thought when I first watched it, someone said, "Have you seen this Succession show?" And I watched it, and I just loved it because there's a few friends of mine uh, who are unfortunately along with us that were in New York, and one of them was a, a billionaire like similar to him, and exactly the same. Like, right. just fucking fuck off. And she'd be like, and <laughs> yeah. she was like in her 80s. And she so was, you've knocked around those people. Yeah, you've but, been but, around them. But literally, um, you know, it's just mad. When you watch when you watch something like that, there were so many memories that come back to me. Right. And whoever wrote that must have been around these people to get the... This is what I'm saying, exactly. You know, or they researched, you know, like, and, I, and I've never been around them. You have, and you're saying it's real. For me, it rang true. It's like I've never been in the mafia, but when I watch Goodfellas, it rings true because there's, you know, you, that authenticity. You can't make it up. You have to either research the fuck out of it, or you have to well, know. Well, says you grew up around the mob. Exactly. You know what I mean, and uh, it's, it's, you know, I think I it's think, in his blood. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're, if you're in the environment, and when I was doing the clubs, I was in an environment which, you know, there was criminals, there was people that were gangs, and there was people up to no good. Sure. Um, and and. Again, like you, I was never been interested in getting involved in that stuff. 
But I see it going on, and I met the people, and I was always respectful to them. Those yeah. were respectful. But to you men. watch and you find them fascinating. See, I find those people fascinating. So I'm a watcher and I'm an observer and I'm a raconteur. So I listen to the stories and and I'm watching and I'm taking it all in and 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 then so that's why I write. You know, the one thing the one thing that I always find mad, like when you talk to these people, like when they're in it and they're doing it, it's all great and it's all funny and it's all this, it's all that. But when they actually end up either getting maimed or killed or put in jail for a long time, when, when, when you, they, they come out the other side, if they're still alive, mm. they all regret doing it. They yeah. all say, what a fucking waste of my life. Why the fuck did I do that? There's nothing cool, clever, funny about it. Um, and, and, you know, it's the same with these kids. You know, there's a lot of kids now that are in their 16, 17, 18-year-olds running around, stabbing people, machetting people, shooting people thinking that, you know, if they get caught, that their street cred's going to go up. And then mm. when they come out of jail, everyone's going to be like, oh, that's the guy who did that. But then when they come out, everyone's forgotten about them. Yeah, but and it always ends in tears. It's crazy. It, it always ends in tears, you know. And like, and if you do believe in, in a balance in life, you know, there's karmic energy, you know. And what you, I think, you know, what you put out, you get back. You put out negative energy, negative energy gets comes back. And that's what I've never understood, right? You know, when you... When you see people and they're being negative, and it can be in life where you've got people that are toxic that come up to you going, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Have you seen that? Have you heard this? Have you heard that? And they just spread shit all day mm, long. Mm. And you just think, what is wrong with this person, right? Yeah. They've got nothing good to say. And they're always complaining. And then you've got people on the internet doing similar things. And you just sort of think, well, by you just putting out all that negativity, it's just going to come back on you. It does. There's nothing, yeah. you, you know, all the stuff that I've always done, mm. I've done positively. And I've pushed it out there and I've always wanted to do things well and do the best I can. And sometimes, like you found, you put your art and someone to a project and it don't work. Or you put your art and someone to a project and, yeah, the critics don't like it. Or it doesn't get the release you wanted or that you think the film deserved. Yeah. But you can't sit there crying about it. You have to just pick yourself up and go, you know what? I've learned from that. Next. Right. The difference is you're a doer. Yeah. You get out there and you do it and you put yourself out there. And that's what we do. And we are like, you know, it's horrible when you get people saying bad things about you, you know, because I think it's, it's a it's a weird contradiction because as artists, we're normally quite sensitive people. But Pete, do you know what I find crazy, right? Like, And I'm sure you've had this, George. Maybe you haven't. But people will just send you a message on social media or they're comment on your post and just go, you're a cunt or that film's a load of shit. And you're like, yeah. who the fuck is this person? Exactly. You know I mean? It's like, but it's always the bad ones we remember, innit? Yeah. They could say a million good fucking things, but it's always <laughs> negative shit that we hang on to. You but know? I, don't, I don't, I always laugh because I always just think, you know, I just, I feel sorry for them because yeah. I actually think, you know, you're actually wasting your life sending this shit to me that I'm not interested in, I don't pay attention to. Yeah. And, and you know, find, and I sometimes I want to go back to them and say, if you spent more time being positive and creative, maybe something good will happen in your life. Yeah. But I think I don't want to do that because I don't want them to think that they've actually I've actually read their message. Yeah. Because if yeah, they because yeah, yeah. they want you to read the exactly, message, exactly. Yeah. They want yeah, a reaction. Yeah. So if you don't give them a reaction, someone said to me, um, I can't remember who it was, but it always made me laugh because because I used to have fucking rounds with people. People would like send me messages and just say stupid things like you're, you're you know you're a cunt or something like that. Yeah. And I'd just be like. Fuck, do you think you're talking to? You, you buy like, into it. You're saying, yeah. saying, me. Come sit my fucking face. Yeah. Don't, don't keyboard worrying me. Right? Yeah. But um, they've got you then. Right? Once you've right? done that, then. But then, but then, I was moaning to someone. I was going, "Can you believe these people? They just think they can fucking send you any old shit you want, and there's no repercussions." Yeah. And my mate said to me, "He said, Terry, 
He said, do not feed the trolls. Yeah. Because he said, as soon as you feed them, Course, that's what they want. It's like, out, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think the funniest trolling story I heard was, and it was, I don't know if it was a UFC fight or a boxer, but someone kept going on about going, oh, your wife's ugly, you know, you're a shit boxer, your kids, like, fucking got autism, like, really bad stuff, mm. right, online, just fucking tormenting this bloke. So don't ask me how he did it, but he found out where this fucking bloke lived. Remember, knocked on his door. And the guy's opened the door and he goes, he goes, right, me and you now, outside. And the guy's going, no, no, no. He goes, I was just fucking about, I didn't mean it. But he actually put it fucking on him. Yeah, and he filmed yeah. it and said, I'm going to put this on the internet. Fucking say you're sorry and I'm, you're going to stop being a cunt. Yeah. And it just made me laugh because I just yeah. thought, this yeah. guy has actually trolled the troll. He's got um, him. And yeah. <laughs> He's got him. That's their but, worst nightmare, isn't it? Like but, them turning but, up. But, but genuinely, if, if, if people, because you can... Anyone can set up any profile anywhere they want. Mm. And I genuinely think that with social media, there's kids at school that are getting trolled. There's sure. kids committing suicide. Sure. And there's a lot. And Because in the old days, people come up to you and go, you're fat, you're ugly to your face. But they don't do it anonymously. Of course. And think they're getting away with it. Yeah. But I genuinely think the way to police social media, right? And I don't mm. know why they don't do this. But if you want to go onto one of these platforms, you should have a passport. So they know how old you are. Right. And you should register it and it has to be in your name. Yeah. In that way, if you go around trolling people or you go around saying stuff, you mm. know, you're identifiable mm. and, and, and you know, you can be dealt with by law enforcement. But now, if you, if you're, if you, like, I could have five people setting up 10 accounts just trolling you all day long. Mm. And the only way you're ever going to find out who's behind it is if you can get a court order to actually find out. So you can't actually, there's no, if you've ever tried, if you ever have a problem, on, on any of these platforms, you can never speak to anyone. No. You always no. have to send a message and it's, it's been reviewed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it's true. So, yeah. So it's, yeah. it is a mad I world. mean, it's hard when you're a kid, I guess, you know, that, that, that's what, that is the valid point because it's the kids, you know, when they're getting trolled and bullied online. I mean, that's a, that's terrible because it's such a prominent thing in society, isn't it? Like and nowadays, like social media is something that we didn't have growing up. But I mean, I mean, being We got like, terrorized in person. <laughs> yeah, we just, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, but like, I guess the thing is now, like, I just try not to, you know, take it all with a pinch of salt, the good and the bad. I mean, a, someone once said to me, you know, if you're going to believe the good reviews, you've got to believe the bad ones. You know, just don't believe it. Just they're all just opinions. And, and they're often written by people that haven't got a fucking creative bone in their no, body. That's true. They're not even talented, you know, and we're putting ourselves out there. Like, we, like as artists, when we go out there, when you act and you... We, 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 we do a scene, we're just exposing ourselves, you know, we're so vulnerable. Exposing uh, ourselves to yeah, abuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We are though. We're just like, we're, we're putting ourselves up there to be to be judged and, you all, know. All try, we want to do is be loved. We just want to be <laughs> fucking loved. That's all we want is love and admiration, you know, like, uh, yeah. You but know, villain, but we're out there doing it. We're yeah, out there doing but it. But villain for you, um, would you say that was a turning point in your career where when when you, you felt wow, we're number one on Netflix in a couple of countries. And then, you, you know, the phone started ringing, you started getting other opportunities. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, you know, it, it got me noticed, I think, amongst my peers, you know, um, and um, people realised that, that I existed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's done It's done really well. And just to, just to you know, it's something so... I mean, I, I spent years writing that film, me and Greg, you know, and just to see it made and realised and do well, it's a great feeling. Pe pe this is the other thing, which a lot of people watching or listening to is won't appreciate or understand how long these things take. Mate, you know, like you said, years of writing, years, years of banging years. on the doors, years of trying to get it off. I'm telling you. And 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 then, you know, you get it off and it could have gone the other way. Yeah. Could have gone nowhere. So when Turnout, first draft of Turnout, 
uh, with like he's watching something on the TV, daytime TV, and it was Kilroy. Right. Remember Kilroy? Right. You yeah, have to be old to remember. And yeah. then it was Trisha. I'm not that and then old. It was, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, Kilroy, then Trisha, and then Jeremy Carl. Do you know what I mean? It was oh, right. like, it, it took six or seven years to get that film off the ground, you know, to the point where you think, if we don't get it made now, I'm going to be too old to, to, to play right. it, you know? Do you know? Do you know what I've, I've always thought, though, George, right, is the one thing that the film business and acting, whether you're producing, writing, acting, directing, mm. whatever it is, the one thing that the film business and the television business teaches you is patience. Yeah, for sure. Because you have yeah. to be patient. Yeah, and, uh, oh, 100%. Nothing moves quick, does it? And I remember speaking to Bill Murray, right? And uh, I actually said to him, you know, fucking hell, I've got this film, it's Danny Howard, blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me and he went, Terence, <laughs> he said, it happens when it happens. Mm. And if it doesn't happen, it wasn't meant to happen. Mm. I was sat there and I was thinking... Fucking right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was just funny that, yeah. you know, it was just very just like, well, you know, don't basically don't drive yourself fucking mad. Mm -hmm. And, and, mm. uh, but, but the, the beautiful thing about, I think, creating content is once you've created it, it's there. Exactly. So even if it doesn't happen today, tomorrow, it's next there. year. It's never going to get made if you don't write it. You exactly. know what I mean? You own the IP. You've got it here. Yeah. And then when the opportunity presents itself, you can slip it in. And that's how both from uh, Villain and Turnout got made. Just like a little window opened up. I went, oh, I've got something. Bang. And they happened, you know. But, um, and then, and then, obviously, fast forward from villain, and then uh, we're in lockdown, aren't we? Yeah. And then we get the phone call <laughs> about origins. Origins, exactly. Which yeah. was mad, and uh, mad. and that must have been exciting for you because obviously to come into a franchise, such a massive it's, it's franchise, a new, it's a new character yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a good one because Andy said it was a mishmash of two characters, so there wasn't one character to base it on. So I had a bit of free reign to play with it. And I wanted to do something different and like, bless them, like Nick and Andy both gave me the room and the platform to really play about with that character and create something that was a little bit different, you know, and I nicked little bits and pieces from everywhere. Like even the Basil and Joe thing, that come from Kalito's way actually, where Benny Blanco oh, yeah. references himself <laughs> in the third person, you know, I'm Benny Blanco, so do you know who I am? I'm Basil and Joe. So yeah. all that come from, you know, just nicking little bits and pieces from... Uh, little things of building this character from scratch. It was great fun, the peroxide air. And, and they were just going, yeah, go on, go for it. Try. They really got behind me yeah. rather than going, oh, hold on a minute. I had so many dog. people when that film came out messaging me going, I know a guy called Joe from Basil. Is it him? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I have no clue. Yeah. yeah. But it was yeah. just, um, but, but I don't know about you, George, but when that lockdown happened and we found ourselves in, in South End for, for four or five weeks, however mm. long it was, in uh, October, November yeah. 2020. Yeah. It uh, was fucking great. Uh, it? Yeah, it bunkered up in that hotel, wasn't it? It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was great. Like the world's ending and we're all just we're fucking making a, a laugh movie. on yeah. And good, you know, you and Andy, you know, you, you was fearless, man. You just went out there and got it done, you know? Pe people said to me, like at the time, you know, how are you going to fucking raise the money for this? Because... You can't actually go and meet anybody. You can't really see anybody. And I went, you know what? I said, I'm just going to phone, phone up people that I know yeah. who've invested previously and just see, you know, if anyone fancies it. feelers out. And, and pe people said to me, yeah, are you fucking mad? You're making a film that you don't know when the pandemic's going to be over. So how are people going to watch film? I said, well, everyone's watching fucking Netflix and yeah, Amazon. Yeah. So worst case scenario, it comes out on Netflix and Amazon. Right? But I said, hopefully, cinemas will open up and this thing will go away at some point. Mm. Right? Um, but, but in a weird sort of way, um, when we did it, 
obviously it, it went out. Um, and the timing was perfect because yeah. the cinema so sort of opened up as it came out. But right? what happened was it was it was a little bit potty because normally what what's happened historically um, when 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 uh, Foot Soldier My Bad come out, mm. um, it always come out like November time. And then Boxing Day, it got on DVD. Yeah. So it never got a big cinema release. It just went out on like 20, 30 cinemas. Right. Then it went on a premium pay-per-view. Then it went out on DVD, Blu-ray and rental, Boxing Day. And and then we used to do Marbella Film Festival, uh, first week in October. Mm-hmm. Then a month later, we'd be doing, obviously, the, the premiere. And then it'd be out. And, and, and that was the sort of model. The uh, Foot Soldier 3, Pate Story, mm-hmm. they did it on that. Marbella did it on that. And then, obviously, when we were doing Origins, we were like, great, pandemic's over now, all back to normal. And then all of a sudden, everything starts shutting down again. And it was like, for fuck's sake. And I remember, like, the My Bad Film Festival moved the My Bad Film Festival early. Yeah. Because they were worried that there was going to be another pandemic and it was going to shut down again. Right. The cinema, the distributor said, let's get it out early September, because if we don't, the cinemas might all be shut again. Right. So everyone was panicking. Yeah. I mean, in... If they had just done it as it was, it would have been okay. But mm. nobody wanted to take that risk. But then it went out, and uh, it went to it was number ten at the box office. That's right. Which for, I mean, what a lot of people don't realise about cinema is the only films that really get into the top ten are normally, you know, superhero movies and yeah. big budget fifty American films, big budget films. Yeah, because because and and you know I get it because people say. Why would I pay fifteen pounds to come watch a low-budget British film here? Yeah, we're not going to go and watch a three hundred million pound film in Hollywood on the same screen, exactly, on the same day. So, mm. I think as a independent filmmakers, we're never ever going to. I mean, look, I've had a couple of films that are broken out of the box office, but you know, it's it's you never ever you're always fighting against the big guys. Yeah, I always ask you know? people, when was the last time you went to watch a British film in the cinema, not a screening? Or, or a premiere or something like that. When was the last time you paid money out of your pocket to go and watch a British film? Yeah. A lot of people can't even remember. Well, the, the, the worst thing for me, and, and this is one of my sort of pet gripes, is you talk to people now, um, and I talk to all sorts of people, rich, middle, poor, mm-hmm. right? And they all say the same thing now. Oh, when's it coming on Netflix? Yeah. When's it coming on Amazon? Exactly. And you go, well, we haven't sold it to them yet. Yeah. Oh, I'll wait till it comes on there. And you're mm-hmm. like, when I was growing up, when that film's coming out, I had to see it. Yeah. But yeah. now it's sort of like, oh, I'll wait till it comes to Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm paying nine ninety nine a month. I love it when it comes out. So so the urgency of and, and I think the only thing that can help is is if if there's some hype behind the film. And if yeah. people have to see it for whatever yeah, reason, yeah. or have you seen this film? Mm. And um, you know, I think obviously with um Rise of the Foot Soldier Origins, that was uh first time I ever played a lead in the movie, which was amazing. Obviously, Vinny, first time he'd been in the thing. First time you've been in the thing. Yeah. Obviously, you're bouncing on Vinny. That's why they come out um, to watch it, obviously. Because I'll... Mate, you'd be the lucky charm. That's from Joe's in the house, right? And, and, and to, to have it, have that big premiere in Leicester Square. It's amazing. And then to see the love and the people. And, and you know, it, it, it was an odd conversation, though, because obviously, if you'd have had the phone call saying, oh, we're doing a prequel to the first one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Fifteen. So, so we're going to go back fifteen years. You sort of think, well, how's that going to work? So I'm obviously a little bit older now. Right? Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. I think the fans, they they just 
yeah. I think and you've got to have a bit of creative freedom yeah. and license, haven't Doesn't you? Doesn't you know, and, and they're fun movies. They're not. They're not. They're not made to win Academy Awards. They're fun movies, and and, and they deliver. Yeah. You know, on every level. I you mean, know if you mean? look at the new one that's just come out, uh, Rise of Foot Soldier Vengeance, we had a great premiere in September. Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was the first premiere that's ever sold out two weeks before. Wow. We had, I had people ringing me up and messaging me yeah. saying, I want to come at Premier, I want to buy a table, I want to buy tickets. I'm like, there's none. We, yeah. we, we actually had 200 people too many oh. wanted to come. And that's with that, that was at the end of August. Yeah. So we had yeah. to start saying, sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, the magnitude of the event like that, that like, it's just massive, isn't it? It's just massive. Everything's done as, as big as you can as you can do it. Yeah. Really, well, that's, you, know? you can't do a bigger, I mean, you, no. it, I mean, you could do numbers-wise. Yeah. But I think the reason why we picked the Odeon in Leicester Square was because you're all in one room, and that that is a room in it. I mean, you're sitting in these massive oh, mate, chairs, proper, yeah, yeah um, and, and and then we had that great after party at Proud, yeah, um, and uh, the film um, was eleven in the box office. Yeah, so, I know it's just done. It's so yeah, brilliant. so so it it did it didn't get to number ten like Origins, <laughs> <laughs> but but I I genuinely think again when you look at what's on, yeah, I know it's. Not the same thing, but Barbie movie. Oh, man, um, you've got all these movies. massive, like huge... two hundred million dollar movies. Yeah, you know and, you, mean? and, and you know, you think you've got your little yeah. independent, but it's still punching well above its weight. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think I think everybody that saw uh, the movie said it didn't feel like a foot soldier film. And yeah, but the idea behind it was obviously it was more like a kind of get Carter, like yeah. a revenge movie. And I think in essence, it's good because the the, the next step will be. Rise of the Foot Soldier, I'd be for. And that's obviously going to be going back to the the Foot Soldier, you know, the guys being silly, the drugs, the girls, the whatever. But but again, you know, I think it's nice to switch it up. Mm. And it's also nice to bring in some new people. Like Anthony Scordy was amazing, oh, isn't it? Brilliant. Uh, Jeff Bell. Everyone was um, great, isn't it? You know, yeah. Yeah, little Foster. Ben Wilson. Yeah, you had like, people. Fantastic young actor. You yeah. had people that hadn't appeared in any Rise of the Foot Soldier yeah. movies. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and obviously we can, we can talk about this now because obviously this – um, will be probably out All right. mid to late December. What spoilers you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but lots of people die in this one. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to come back. <laughs> exactly. Or well, in the foot soldier world, you know, anything can happen. Anything's possible. People get regenerated. Yeah, people yeah. come back to life. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. it's great. Yeah. But what was your, I mean, what was your favourite moments on Origins? Well, um, I just think that last set piece, uh, the finale, yeah. It's just is up there with any film, you know, big budget, low budget, British crime movie. I mean, it's just a fantastic set piece finale. When when um, he walks into that club and there's the shot behind him, Craig and Craig, what's he like? Like he just like he, he's got that same. That's why he would have been great to play Lenny. He's got that same presence. Now, I wish I had that fucking presence, you know. Like he just you just put the camera on Craig and it loves him. He's a fantastic actor as well. But just when he walks in that club from behind with that shotgun. And he and no one notices. He, he's they're all going about their business, and and just from then on, it just the, the film just fucking just skyrockets and beautifully shot. Solo at night in the rain. Uh, it's just epic, mate. You know, and I, I and I loved it. I was really really impressed with the whole film. It's just a slick movie. Yeah. You know, they they put the money. You know, it's low budget comparatively. Uh, you know, compared to them other yeah. films we were talking about, it's a, nothing. It's a drop in the ocean, and yet they put all that money up there on the screen and make it look great. And um, yeah, it's a triumph. You know, they should, everyone should be just chuffed with themselves. They've done a really good job. Pleasure to be a part of it. So, what, so what's your um, plans for the future now, George? So I'm I'm just writing. You know, so I've got a couple of I've got a film at the moment. This this just this just been optioned. 
um, that I'm, I've written with Greg. We're just sorting out the contracts with that now. Um, me and Greg have just finished writing a, a feature film that we've already got a producer attached who's done like 30 films before and she reckons she can, she's almost got the money. We've almost written that on spec and that's the best thing me and Greg have ever written. And we're working on a couple of TV things. We've got another TV thing with a, um, with a production company at the moment. And I really like TV. I've never written TV before. And I think that that's a, that, that, uh, so where like films always celebrate the, um, the, uh, the director, it's always like, you know, who directed it? Not so much about the right writers. TV's where, where the writers. TV, it's the writers that are the new auteurs. They're, the, they're celebrated, you know. You so know I really like the idea of that. I think it's funny about TV. I mean, I remember back in the day when I first got involved in the business, like all the TV people were looking at the film people going, oh, I really want to be there. Yeah. And, the film, and then the TV people go, why don't you come down here? And the film yeah, people were like, no, oh, we're not no, doing no, that. Yeah, yeah. And now it's got flipped the other way around. around. But I think, I think, you know, when... Uh, when they started making like movies mm. as episodes of TV, yeah, that's when it changed. And yeah. when when you yeah. started seeing people spending millions on each episode, yeah, for and sure. You, and, and and you know, I think I think obviously Netflix was was one of the pioneers of that. HBO, and HBO, um, yeah. The, but they all started deciding right. We got to, to really get people switched into TVs or subscribing. We got to give them really good quality. Mm. And and I think you know again, it, it, these things have all created issues. Right, um, and the biggest issue in film is obviously now people want you know the big budget, the director, the writer, the A star actors to, for, for it to really have a chance of succeeding. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, it's sort of like, well, you know, you haven't really got anybody in it. So, so it's it's made the independent sector, especially I'd say in 2022, 2023, mm -hmm. massively hard. Obviously, coming out of COVID, and and obviously the studios have had to ramp stuff up. Um, because people aren't going to the cinema, so they've decided, well, actually, we spend more and we get, you know, make it bigger, people will come. Um, and I don't think that's happened. No. Right? I think I think the um, arsehole's got to fall out of it at some point because they're throwing all this money behind these big franchises. And I think sooner or later, it will, I have to have faith. Well, it is. Well, it, it is. It will come back round just to filmmaking. But it is. Quality but that's what's, that's, oh, it is. I believe that's oh, what's I happening. So. I, I believe that's what's happening now. Yeah. And I think the difficult thing about TV is, again, it's like you've got to have the writer from this, the showrunner from that, mm. the director from this. And obviously if you're Steven Spielberg or Tom Hanks, then great, you know. Yeah. But for the rest of us, you know, we're all trying to obviously get up there. But but I think they've all got themselves into this kind of slightly bad predicament. I mean, Cineworld mm. went out of business. They, 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 seven billion, right? And... What, in debt? They, 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 they went out of business, right? right? So what they did was they wiped out all of that debt, right? And then they went, oh, we're we're we're, we're going to raise some more money now, um, because you know we've got X Y Z happening. But obviously, if you've had a business that's lost that much money, yeah, there must be someone somewhere that goes, this obviously isn't working. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And 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 you know, uh, so so I don't know what the future of cinema is. Yeah, but I'm I think things like the electric, the every man will work because people like the luxury, the bottle of wine, the food. Sure, it's a different experience. Mm. But I think the days of the multiplexes. Are definitely numbered. Yeah, and, and it I, is. It's expensive to go to the cinema now. You know, like, quid. like yeah, it used to be a thing you could take your kids, and it would be a cheap sort of like night night out. But now it's just yeah, like you say, it's hundred quid well, a pop. Too. I used to go three times a week. Mm. Right, that's how mad I was in the cinema, mm. and it'd be like seven quid, you and go. you'd have hot dog, popcorn, yeah. Fiora. with for that seven <laughs> quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's sort of like 
Yeah, yeah, we won't have to cure. We won't have to yeah, hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. We bring our own water, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, but 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 also, I think what's happened with a lot of the streaming platforms, and it's the same in the music, right? You pay a certain amount a month, and you get everything. Yeah. And the problem is, it's great for consumers, but it's bad bad for the creators. Mm. The, and if you think, you know, if you create content, whether you're an investor in content, whether you're creating content, whether you're a producer, writer. Doesn't matter who you are, mm. if you are relying on getting paid for your content, and then people are going, "Well, we're going to give you this for it, I'm going to give it away to all these people for free," you know, nobody ever tells you, you know, "Oh, 200 million people have watched your film." Yeah, right, on, yeah, they on don't want to give you the figures. They? That's yeah. why, you know, the writers and the the actors are on strike, strike right yeah. now, mm-hmm. and people are saying, "Well, you know." Uh, about AI, I think AI is part of it, but the the real reason is they're not getting the residuals. Not getting the residuals. And obviously, if if you're a union, yeah, and your money is paid through residuals, mm. you're not getting any money. Exactly. And then you go, well, hang on a minute, that film you starred in, that film you produced, or that film you wrote is going out of two hundred thirty million people worldwide. Yeah. yeah. And you're getting paid that money. And Someone's else. getting some money somewhere, aren't they? You know what I mean. So, but but, yeah. the plat- but but the model is great for the consumer. Yeah, it's bad for the creators. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what will happen if they solve the strike? Which I don't see how they will, but they, they're going to have to. The only way it's going to get solved is if I think the streaming platforms say, "Well, we will give people residuals." But then if they do that, they're going to they put the prices up. Yeah. All oh, right. Got you. And if yeah. you put the prices up, yeah, you know, it's not going to go up a pound a month. Yeah, it's going to yeah. go up. 10, 20, and not only that, there's only so many that you can subscribe to a month if you're a normal person. Do you know what I mean? So then you have to start cancelling subscriptions, right? I guess. Yeah. But that's the, the things in our business right now that you look at and, and are worrying are what's going to happen with the cinemas, mm. right? And obviously, if the cinemas do shrink or go out of business and there's only a handful of IMAXs and every man's, then obviously that means that the box office takings aren't going to be very big for these mm, movies mm. and obviously all the box office takings are linked to the deals they get with the streaming sure. platforms yeah. and broadcasters so if there's no box office there's no deal so then they have to renegotiate the deals and if I was one of those platforms and some company said well cinemas aren't delivering anymore we're not we're going to stop putting stuff out of cinemas but do you want to buy a 200 million pound movie I'd say well yeah I'll give you a million quid for it yeah, and yeah. if they say well we don't want to we're not going to take that so we don't fucking put it out then mm. and then they're sitting there with this film so then all the studios are going to have to try and set up a streaming service and Paramount have already done it right? Um, and I think Universal have already done it but they're not obviously as far down the road as Netflix, Amazon, mm-hmm. Apple, Disney so mm-hmm. there is going to be a a, a a bit of a war yeah. and I think there is going to be some casualties next year yeah. so yeah. Um, but but for air, airspace the independence um, you know it's I've, a window isn't it I've, yeah. I think we, I think I think you know I've created a lot of content and I'm and, and there is a, a waiver you can get now where if you can get things privately financed, you can actually still make stuff. Right. Um, and, and they're allowed the actors to work on it. Okay. Right. But only if it's privately financed. If you right. sell, well, Netflix or Amazon or, gotcha. or, or Universal are on it, yeah. then they can't work. Right. So we've got, so we're putting some things together now where okay. we're, we're, we're working around that. But right. again, good stuff. We, you know, but it's again challenging and it's, it's hard. There's no yeah. easy, easy route, you know. See, um, I have to just hope that all this stuff will write itself. You know, I mean, I'm not a producer. Um, uh, really, you know, I'm just, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I create, I write, and uh, you're a creator, a exactly, yeah. you know, and I'm a creative, and um, yeah, you, you, like, like what you say, you know, you create the content, and you hope that the opportunity presents itself where you can, because it's like, like, like I was speaking to someone the other day, it's Craig actually, and he said it's all about timing. I think you know? you, what you've got to, got to do as well is, if you're a creative, right, 
whatever they say about artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence isn't creative. Mm. You can tell it what you want them to do, write a story about this and about that, mm -hmm. and it'll do whatever it thinks is right. Yeah. And, and in a way, it can manipulate, oh, people like this, so put this in, and people like that, put that in. Yeah. And it can be everything to everyone. Mm. But the problem with that is it becomes like a fucking politician. Yeah. Or it becomes like a, one of these people that, you know, you ask them a question and they don't answer it and they just go, oh, you know, whatever, whatever, and they just go around the houses. Whereas mm. with being a creative, you know, I think the reason why the Rise of the Foot Soldier films have been successful and people have watched them and people are drawn to the franchise, it's not because, like you said, they're not going to win any Academy Awards, but there's something... Not yet. Not yet but there's something in... In the in in the DNA of that, which is controversial and makes people want to watch it, yeah, and it's because it's being written and created by by real people, and exactly. I think you can't replace creatives, in my opinion. And you know, I'm not a geek, so I might be wrong, yeah, right? yeah. But I, I don't think um, you can create creatives. I think you've either got it or you haven't. Yeah, and, and, and... I think we always have a job. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so as well. <laughs> you know, and I've messed about a little bit with AI when writing and stuff. And um, it's, I'm very, like, you know, it's new to me. And I, I, I'm like you say, I'm not I'm not really, like, a technical geek or anything like that. Um, yeah. I'm probably a bit late to the party. But, like, I, I just don't think it can it can um, sort of supplement, uh, uh, like, real real people. You know I mean? Not yet, anyway. I'm sure they it might get to that In point, five years, mate. May, maybe, maybe. But, you know, you still... They'll, and there'll always be people that want to go back to to something written by by people, just like people want to collect vinyl now. You know, you know, we always want we're always drawn back to like um, there'll always be Renaissance people that but, want want but, the real deal. You but know, that, but that's that going back to what you were saying earlier. I think all of this stuff that's happening now, like you said, is it's got to come to a conclusion. There's got to be some uh, and it, kickback almost, it, and it feels like. It feels like a perfect storm, right? It feels like, you know, yeah, what with cost of living, interest rates, businesses failing, this, that, and the other. It does feel like the, the world's fucking in a crazy it place. Does at times. But 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 in a way, right, out of chaos comes opportunity. Mm. And I and I do think that, you know, if you've got the right stuff and you're in the right place, yeah, when all the chaos happens, you know, if all of a sudden the studios can't go what well, is two hundred and fifty billion we're going to do this, we're going to do that. They're going to go, we need somebody that can make this cheaper. Now, yeah. if all you do is make films for 200 million and some says make it for a million, you're not going to go, leave it to me. You're going to go, it's not possible. Yeah. Right? So the people that can actually do, do stuff that. Yeah. on that level, mm. could be half a million, it could be three million, but yeah. Yeah. it's a lot cheaper than 200 million. Mm. Um, and, and I think people will have to adjust what they get paid. You yeah. know? So in the old days, you know, you had movie stars basically commanding whatever they wanted. Mm. And now you've got, you know, Netflix doing a TV show with a couple of unknown actors in it that are good, yeah, right? Or that have established, but they're not movie stars. Mm. And now all of a sudden, because that show's gone out to 230 million, they're now hottest thing in, since sliced bread. Yeah. But they're probably under contract for the next five years or 10 years or whatever with Netflix. With or same, with, yeah. So it's like going back to the old studio model, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think whatever happens in the world, something something good will come out of it, but mm. you just got to make sure you're in the right place you're at in the, the right, right time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, George, I've really enjoyed having you on the show, Yeah, mate. Thank, thanks for having and, me, uh, mate. It's been, it's been and, wonderful. And it's yeah. good talking about your career, about your life, about your experiences. And um, I look forward to uh, 
working with you in the future, Wicked either tell. as an actor or as a producer. Wicked time, sure or, we will, mate. Or as a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Thanks, tell. Nice Thanks one, for mate. having me, mate. Thanks for watching the Criminal Connection podcast and what a guest George Russo was. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you tune in next week, Friday, 5pm, for another exciting guest. Criminal Connection podcast with a podfather, Terry Stone. <laughs>